Well, we are starting a new series today called Once Upon a Marriage. Now, if you're here and you're like, well, I wish you'd have told me that before I came. That's okay. I get it. But I, I do want to say this to you, and I, I think this is important. Whether, you, whether you're single, uh, whether you're divorced, whether you're in a marriage, uh, maybe you're in a great marriage, maybe you're in your complicated marriage, maybe you're struggling in your marriage. I don't know, but I know this. That God is the best at speaking to the human condition. Yes? He, he just is. And the Bible is so good at doing that. And so wherever you find yourself today, I'm just really excited you're here because I believe the Lord has something for you. Because everybody in here want to have good relationships? Yep. Yeah, I mean, nobody's like, you know what I really want? A stinker. You know, I just really want to make sure it's awful. No one does that. You know, everybody wants that. So whether you're single, whether you're a teenager, whether you're older, it doesn't matter. We all want that, and God has plenty to say about it. And so I believe as we open ourselves up to this series and what God might say through it, that God is going to help us have better relationships across the board. And so my encouragement to you is that you would open yourself up to that possibility as we dive into this series called Once Upon a Marriage, where we are specifically going to be looking at various relationships in the Bible. Now, the thing I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't ever hide stuff. Like if your marriage was not good, it's going to show up in the Bible. Like the Bible's just not like, hey, everything was great, they did everything right, and it was perfect. It's not that at all. Like when you read some of the stories between men and women and family dynamics and all of that, friends, you thought your stuff was jacked up. There's some stuff in there that's really messed up, some really dysfunctional relationships. And here's the thing I want you to know. It's not that the Bible is bad. The Bible is trying to communicate as human beings we make poor choices. Matter of fact, the Bible would say that we live in rebellion to the things of God without Jesus. And so that means that in my relationships, if I don't get Christ in my relationships, I'm probably going to make a mess of things. You, you understand? And so this is why I think this is so relevant to all of us as we look at some of these stories. And some of them are great, like they did it right, and some of them aren't. And today, I'm telling you, the, the, the story we're going to look at today is bizarre. I mean, it is just a bizarre story of a man and two women that it just gets real complicated. And so I just, I, I, brace yourself for that. We're going to dig into this story. But here's the thing about the story that I think we can get. It can help us learn what not to do. Does that make sense? Like in leadership, they call it negative preparation. In other words, you encounter something that's negative and it helps you formulate a positive. Does that make sense? And so you, so, you, so you look at it, you think, well, hey, that's not God's best. Well, I want God's best, so this is what I'm going to do if that makes sense. So we're going to dig into this story of a guy named Jacob. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the name of Jacob, but Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. So Abraham was the covenantal relationship that God has established with him. He said, if you do this, there's a baby promise, there's a land promise, there's all these things that are coming into your life if you'll be faithful to me. So there was a covenant that was created. Through Abraham, we get to Isaac. Isaac was the kid that got taken up to the mountain and almost sacrificed. Yeah, I don't know if you know that story, but it was true. And, and, and so through Isaac, who lived, thank God, came two sons. One of them, Jacob, and the other, Esau. 
So perhaps you've heard of Jacob and Esau. But Jacob and Esau, they had kind of a contentious relationship as well. Esau was the older brother. Jacob was the younger brother. And, and it just got really messy. Uh, because there, his mother, Jacob's mother, really felt like the blessing was supposed to go to her son, Jacob. But now, naturally, in terms of how things were set up in society, Esau would receive the blessing. So what Jacob does is with his mom, they collude together, and she dresses him up like Esau, and he comes in and acts like he's Esau to his ailing father who's very old and doesn't know what's really going on anymore, and they take advantage of him. And in the process of that, uh, uh, Isaac lays his hands on Jacob and gives him the blessing. In addition, Esau gave his birthright away for a bowl of stew. That's crazy. Look, I'm not ever that hungry. I'm not giving my birthright away for stew. I'll fast, thank you very much. But he does. And so that's kind of the context that we pick up the story. Jacob has now, by his mom, been encouraged to go to the land that they came from and find someone suitable for him to marry. Because his mother did not want him to marry the women, these pagan women that they found themselves around where they currently lived. And so she says, go back to my family, go back to where we came from, and why don't you find a woman there to marry? So that's kind of where we pick up the story. Jacob has shown up in this particular area of the world, and they are gathering around a well. Now, wells were very common because you had sheep and you had animals that needed to drink. And so there were these wells along journeys that the people could find water for their animals, and that's what was going on. All these people are starting to show up at this well because it's about time to water their animals. And so Jacob is there and he starts to have some conversations, you know, like it's like sitting around uh, the watering hole. And, and he's like, hey, do you know a guy named Laban? And then all of a sudden, like someone's like, yeah, I know Laban. He's down the road, you know, or whatever. He's down the, the holler. <laughs> he's in the valley over there by the desert thing. And so they are having this conversation. And while they're having this conversation, Jacob's really excited because he's found the right place. But then a girl is a long way off. Now, now this girl, her name is Rachel. And Rachel was uh, uh, like a shepherdess. So she was actually, uh, you know, herded sheep but was a woman. And so she was out there with the sheep and she was taking care of the sheep. And she comes walking up. And that's kind of where we pick up the story. And so here's, here's where I want to start today. Uh, and this is in Genesis chapter 29. And I'm going to read from verse 16 through 17. But before I get to that, there's something I want you to see that's really important, I think, to the story. Is that Jacob never really had the love of his father. You know what I mean? Like he didn't, he didn't have that connection. Uh, his father really was connected to Esau. He wanted Esau to be the firstborn. And so, so Jacob, I think, always felt a little deficient. Maybe he didn't feel satisfied. Maybe he felt like there was a hole there that was missing. And I, I think that's relevant to us today. I think many of us have grown up in homes and situations where maybe we didn't have the love of the father. And it's left a certain wound in us. Or maybe in this particular case, like with Jacob, he had to leave his mother. And so in many ways, he lost the love of his mother as well. And perhaps that's your situation. Maybe you never had that. 
And I absolutely know that Jacob did not know the unconditional love of Jesus. That's something that's true. And so that's the man that we're dealing with today. And so the man is sitting at, or he's standing at this well, and and this is kind of the interaction we see in verse 16. Watch this. Now Laban had two daughters. So he finds out that Laban's in the area, and the Bible tells us that Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. So there were two daughters, Leah, Rachel. Verse 17. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Now, I don't know if you're Leah. Would you like for the only thing said about you to be you had weak eyes? Come on, ladies. Like if some guy comes up to you and says, hey, you got some weak eyes. I sure like those weak eyes. Right? Like no dude's doing that and no girl wants that. And yet that's what happens here. So Leah is described in a certain way. But then Rachel is described completely different. So can you imagine? Jacob's at the watering hole. And off in the distance he sees a woman coming. She's tending to the sheep. And as she walks up, he can see the silhouette of her body. And you know what he says? What it says is that she's lovely in form. You know what I'm talking about. Right? I mean, that's kind of what's saying. In other words, she's lovely in form. She's pleasant on the eyes. She's, she's good to look at. Matter of fact, the Bible says that she's beautiful. So Jacob looks at this woman and says, Oh my, you are a looker. Right? Are you guys uncomfortable at this point? You're like, preacher, relax, man. But, but I want you to get what's going on here. He sees her. And he's attracted to her. Does that make sense? So there's an attraction that's happening here. Jacob was attracted to her. And so when we're attracted to something, what do we do? We move towards it. Like, you know, we like it. It's good. It's like, ooh, hey, ah. And we move towards it. And that's, I, I need you to see that because I think that is absolutely important to the story. Because... What I think happens in this particular story is that Jacob comes from a place of deficiency and he's looking to be satisfied. As we get into the story, what you'll notice is that there are women in the story that are looking for the same thing. In other words, there is a desire to be satisfied. There is a desire to be connected in a way that is amazing, right? Like, it's good. It's like, I need this. I want this person in my life because if I get it, it will what? Make me happy. It will, quote, complete me. Remember that old thing from that dumb movie? You complete me. So dumb. Guys, so dumb. Like, that's one of the, I know, it's like you quote it and you're like, oh, you complete me. Because we know that that's not even true. And yet we buy into it, you know, and like we go, and we're like, oh, it's so good. It's so beautiful. But you notice in this story, Jacob is attracted to her and he's attracted to her physicalness. He's looking at her outside and he's like, oh, I really like that. I really enjoy that. Right. 
Now, I know that some of you have had this experience where you were attracted to someone on the outside physically. Then you got real close to them. And you were like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) Yeah, you were pretty, but you're a big old mess. You're like a Monet from a distance. It's real beautiful. But once you get up close, it's just a big mess. Some of you are like, who's Monet? I know. But you see what I'm getting at is that we're looking for things on the outside. We're looking for things on the outside that then attract us to that individual. And then we decide once we're attracted as to whether or not we want to do anything else. Does that make sense? And so you see kind of the same thing happening in this particular situation is that there's an attraction. There's a desire. But sometimes what happens is our attraction and our desire can get us into trouble. Come on. Isn't it true? And so you see that happening in this story a little bit. And I, and I want to focus in on something because I believe this 100% is that marriage is not your answer. Yeah. Marriage will never be the answer. Now, marriage is something God has established. It's important. But it should never be the answer to the problem that we all have as human beings. And this is important that you get that. Because this is what happens. When marriage becomes the answer, there are three things I want to share with you today. When marriage becomes the answer, whether you're single, married, wherever you are today, when marriage becomes your answer, number one, is we compromise more than we should. See, when marriage becomes our answer, we compromise more than we should. Let me read something to you in verse 18. Watch this. Jacob was in love with Rachel. Let that sit, sit on for you for a second. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, that sure is romantic. Friends, I think there's something else going on here. How did Jacob get in love with Rachel? He just met her. Like, literally, he just met her. And all of a sudden, he's now in love with Rachel. And some of you are like, well, I believe, Pastor, in love at first sight. (laughs) Well, that's good for you. I'm glad that you've bought into that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't meet some fella or some gal and there be this connection that eventually blooms into a romance and a relationship. And maybe just maybe you get married and it's a glorious thing. And then you look back on it in the retrospect and say, I think I think we were meant to be together. I think it was love at first sight. Right. I've heard people say that it was love at first sight. And then they get up close and it's like, well, I don't like you anymore. (laughs) Like it was love at first sight from a distance. But then when you get to know him, you're like, wait a second. You right? I don't like the way you eat your food. You you smack, and I just I, I can't do that the rest of my life. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you, like you start to see these idiosyncrasies, and you're just like, I just can't do this anymore. That's how shallow we are as human beings. Come on. You were attracted to the individual, and then all of a sudden you start to get to know them, and there's a problem. But the thing is, is that when we think we're in love, we oftentimes compromise things that we say matter to us. Do you notice that that Jacob comes to Laban and says, Laban, I will work for you for seven years to get your daughter, Rachel. (laughs) 
Seven years? How many of you dudes work in seven years? Now, I know that the story can go like this. Well, he loved her so much he was willing to do it. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe that's true. But here's the other thought. At that time, in terms of a dowry, in because that's how they did things back then, right? They, there was a dowry. And so if you wanted somebody's daughter, you had to pay the dowry. Well, in this case, the normal dowry would only be two years. So, so Jacob shows up, is so infatuated with this girl, so in love with her, that he throws his brain out the door and says, hey, I'm going to do seven years. Do you see what I'm getting at? Sometimes what happens is we, we put our brain somewhere else. We even put our relationship with Jesus somewhere else. Because what we really want is the thing or the person, and so we're willing to compromise to get it. And then one day we wake up and say, what happened? See, that's what happens sometimes, is that we're looking for this person to satisfy us. And here's the thing I need you to know is that that's not going to happen. You will always compromise things if you're looking for that individual to make you whole. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I will do anything for love. But I won't do that. Right? It's... Meat, meatloaf apparently had it right. Is that I'll do anything for love, but I'm not doing this. And you're wondering what this is. Well, we're going to get to that. Something we should never do. And yet, when we make marriage the answer, that's what can happen. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Number two, when we make marriage the answer, we become demanding. Now, what does that mean? We become demanding. Well, when marriage is your answer, you start to be demanding for what you think is rightfully yours. You know what I'm talking about. Like you meet the person and then they need to then meet your needs. Am I the only one? Is this okay? Is everybody okay? So, so, so let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at this in verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, notice how demanding this is. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lay with her. I want to lie with my woman. You got it? Who's he saying that to? Her dad. If there was a guy that came to my house and acted that way, how might you respond? And yet that's what Jacob does. As a matter of fact, if you look at the, the language here in the Hebrew, if you go a little deeper into the original language and you start to look at some of this, what he's saying is absolutely not polite. There is no tenderness in his tone. It is, that's mine, rightfully mine, now give it to me. See, see, what happens is we enter into relationships often when marriage is the most important thing. We enter into these relationships that are more contractual and not covenantal. Does that make sense? It's more contractual. In other words, you do this, then I do this, and you do this, and we do this, and this is this, and this, and this. But a covenant is completely different. A covenant has nothing to do with the contract. See, God created it completely different. God said the way that you're supposed to do relationships is to be selfless. Yeah, yeah. 
to not ever demand anything from the relationship. And you're like, well, pastor, I have needs. I know. We all have needs. But when we put our needs above the person, we're out of sorts with the Bible. Does that make sense? Like Jesus came to turn everything upside down. Jesus turned everything upside down. Jesus didn't say, go demand what is rightfully yours. Jesus said, go and love and serve. Jesus said, if you want to be a good husband, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And how did Christ love the church? Christ sacrificed his life for the church. It's a sacrificial love. It's not based on getting my needs met. And so, yeah, what happens is we can get really demanding when we have the wrong situation, when, we, when we're looking at the person to be whatever it is. And you know what happens? We create these expectations of the other person. And then when they don't fulfill our expectations, guess what? We get hurt. And then when we get hurt, we get angry. And we get bitter. And we look at the individual and says, hey, you're not the person I married. You're not the person that you said you'd be. And the other person's like, well, I never said I was going to be that. You're like, well, I thought you were. He's like, well, I'm sorry. See, what happens is we don't get our needs met. Then we get hurt. Then we get upset. And then we end up in a cycle that leads to our demise Because we're all about what we need, what we want. Because if we don't get what we need and what we want from the individual, then we can never be satisfied. See the problem? When your satisfaction is the goal? See, that's not how God set it up. See, the covenant is different than that. It's completely different than a contract. And so when we make marriage, the answer, we compromise, we become demanding. And I hear this from men all the time. It's like, well, my wife is not satisfying my needs. I'm sure none of you men have ever said that because you got married thinking, you know, we're going to, it's just going to be great. We're going to have physical relations every day, six days a week. It'll always be awesome. And then you get upset because that doesn't happen. Then you get kids and she's like, I'm tired. I have a headache. And you're like, shut it. I have needs. Is this okay? Am I, is this too much? We don't do this. We do this in the privacy of our own home, but pastor can't talk about it. And what I say to the men, women, you, you, you need to hear me. This is what I say to them when they come to me and they say that. This is what I say. You love your wife like Christ loves the church. You start serving her. Serve her. And believe me, your needs will be taken care of. Do you see what I'm getting at? Now, women, before you start clapping, <laughs> let, let, me, let me circle back around on you. So men maybe say that, but women can be demanding too. They may not be demanding physical intimacy, but they may demand other things from their man. They may be very demanding of their relationship. They may say, hey, I need this and I need that and I need this. If you don't do that, then then, da, 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 da. And maybe even you bargain. You're like, if you do this, then maybe I'll give you this. And Oh, Lord. <laughs> do you see the problem? None of that's Jesus. None of that is Christ-like. And so we all have issues when we do it outside of God's plan and God's will. And then finally, the last one I'll share with you is when marriage is your answer, number three, is we always end up, listen to me, dissatisfied. Because, see, we're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for the wrong person. 
that somehow this person now is going to satisfy all my needs. Listen to this in verse 23. It's such a powerful passage of scripture here. But when evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. Wait, 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 wait. Hold, hold on. Leah? I thought he worked for Rachel. Do you see the problem? So, so they've been partying for seven days because that's how they did things. Seven days, full-on party for this wedding ceremony. I suspect that Jacob may have drank a little too much wine. He's now in his house or his little tent, and he's laying down, really excited to have Rachel come see him that night. But somehow, in the midst of all the partying and the veils and all the things, he didn't recognize that this was Leah. So Leah comes in and the Bible says that Jacob lay with her in verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to, listen to this. So Jacob says to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Like, can you imagine waking up that morning? You've You've consummated your marriage There's no way out. And now he's looking at Leah and saying, wait a second, you're not Rachel. Do you see the predicament he's in? And not only that, he's upset with Laban. He's like, Laban, why in the world would you do that to me? Why did you deceive me in such a way? Come on. You ever heard of this principle in the Bible, sowing and reaping? I don't know if you know Jacob's story. See, Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob deceived his own father with the help of his mother. Swindled the birthright and the blessing from his older brother. And now somehow he's surprised that somebody is now deceiving him. Friends, sowing and reaping is a part of God's created order. And that's what's happening to Jacob. And it just absolutely is laughable to see Jacob so upset. In marriage relationships, boyfriends and girlfriends, romantic relationships, one of the things that sometimes happens is we're surprised at how the other person is reacting or acting towards us. But what I've found, come on, is that the reason they're acting that way is because you're sowing something that's leading to that particular reaping. You're like, wait a second, no, it's their fault. Hold on. It might be yours. If you want love, what do you do? You sow love. You want kindness? Sow kindness. You want gentleness? Show gentleness. Men, you you sow harshness in your tone towards your wife, and you will reap what? Harshness. Is, Is that okay? Do you see what I'm getting at? It's a spiritual principle. So you want good things in your marriage, in your relationship? Sow good things. You want destructive things? So destructive things. And you'll reap the consequences of that. And that's how God set it up. Same thing happening with Jacob. And he is so surprised. And yet in this case, Leah is also willing to, I mean, she's able to, again, even under a very difficult situation, she's willing to compromise to get what she wants. Because you know what she wants? She wants to be beautiful. 
she, she doesn't want to be the girl with weak eyes. She's willing to compromise to get the love of Jacob. And I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've seen young women compromise to get the love of the individual that they're with. And if you're a teenager in this room, don't ever do that. Let's read something together. Genesis chapter 29. Just go ahead and start reading. No, no, not out loud. Just read it to yourself. Thank you. I, I love you. She's always talking to me. I love it. Go ahead. Just read it. Next. I personally, I think that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Think about that. Let me, let me read that to you again. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And so God intervenes in this situation. Verse 32, Leah became pregnant. And she gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. So from, the, from these two women come the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Reuben is the firstborn of the tribe of Israel. It is because the Lord has seen my misery, and so he's blessed me with this son, Reuben. Then watch this. Surely my husband will love me now. It's so sad that somehow if she just does this, if she just walks through this, that somehow Jacob is now going to love her, is now going to satisfy her, is now going to fill that void, is now going to make her whole or compromise, or, or I mean uh, complete. And yet in this case, she's compromising so much. And even in the middle of all this, God is so merciful and good to us, you know, she doesn't deserve it, neither does Jacob. And yet, she has this baby named Reuben. And you know, if you look at this baby, Reuben's name, like you look at it literally what it means, you know what it means? See a son. Like she's literally saying to the world, to, to, to Jacob, see, I've given you a son. So much of who she is is wrapped up in this whole experience and it's so sad, and it's so challenging, it's so difficult. And what I'm trying to get us to see is that this is not God's plan for our lives. That there's a better way. But when we make an individual the thing that ultimately is going to satisfy us, we have a problem. And so let me ask you a question. What do you think, from, what, from the story that I've told you, what do you think is missing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just kind of in your head, what do, you, what do you think is missing? Well, again, one of the things that I noticed that's missing is there's no prayer. Like, there's no seeking God. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Jacob's not out on the, on the desert or in the desert sitting under some tree saying, man, that girl's good looking. But God, I want your will to be done. Is she right for me? Like, you don't see that. 
All you see is this kind of contractual walking through what's in front of them. And here's the point I'm trying to get at. And this is so critical that you get this. Please do not tune out to this. You want to divorce, I mean, you want to divorce proof your marriage? You want your relationships to last? Did you know that one in two marriages fail? Yes? So one in two. So you have, you have a 50-50 shot is, is, is what we're dealing with. What if I told you you could have a one in 10,000 shot? Would you take it? Because nobody, nobody stands at the altar and says, hey, I just hope this thing lasts. No. And you know the thing that has been proven to be the game changer for relationships? You want the 99.99%? Pray with your spouse. Is that it? That's it. There's nothing else? No, that's it. You want to divorce-proof your marriage or your relationship, pray with your spouse. Because what happens? What happens? You're like, Pastor, that's too easy. Well, I know it's easy. I know. Well, let me tell you this. It's clear, but it's not always easy. Because what I've found is people know it, but they don't do it. And so, so my point is, is that if you knew that this was a game changer for your relationship, what would you do? Well, if you were in your right mind, you would say, I'm in. Whatever it takes, I'm in. And I am saying to you, as your pastor, if you do this, it's a game changer. Because have you ever tried to be mad at somebody when you prayed for them? <laughs> right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever tried to be mad at somebody? Have you ever tried to, to well, some of us have probably called down fire. You know, like, God, almighty oh, smiter, would you smite this person? They're really upsetting me right now. Would you smite my wife? Okay, not smite her, just make her fall down a little. But you see what I'm getting? Like, it's hard to not be faithful to God when you're praying. It's hard to, to hold a grudge. If you grabbed your wife or your husband's hand and you had a prayer every night, and you had one of those moments during the day, right? You know what I'm talking about, where you have a happy little argument. You grab their hand and you begin to seek the Lord. You know what happens? Your heart becomes soft. You know how you keep your marriage strong? Keep your heart soft. If you keep your heart soft, you can hear from the Lord. If you keep your heart soft, you can hear from your spouse when they're communicating things that they need. See what I'm getting at? You want a game changer, well then prayer is your option. And men, I want to encourage you, lead better. Don't be afraid. Grab her hand and say, let's pray. You don't have to be a professional prayer to lead your wife to prayer. It's important that we do this because I know this 100% that nobody in here wants their relationships to fail. And I know 100% that if you do this, it's going to help you. It's going to help you. And so, the thing that happens, though, is we're, 
We're looking for the one, but it's the wrong one. Does that make sense? So here, I'll give you an example of what I mean, because I think it's important that we understand these two principles, and that is to be really filled in life, we have to find the one. And I, I use the word, I use one with a capital O in order to distinguish it from human. I'm doing that so that you would see that there's a divine importance here, that the one that you need is Jesus. And so often I talk to men and to women and they come to me and they, they say, Pastor, I'm just so excited about this. I went on a date with this person and they were so great and they smelled really nice and their eyes were so beautiful and all oh, their skin, God, all oh, their skin, it was like kissed by the sun. It was so glorious, Jesus. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you've never done this. You never had a moment where you just were so infatuated, so attracted to this individual that you were willing to trade it all in. And so here's what, I'm, what happens, though, is that the person gets to the end of that story and they say, Pastor, I think I found the one. Like, you ever heard that? You ever heard that from a friend? Maybe you've said that. Oh, I think I've found the one. It's so good. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to enjoy that. I want you to find that person. And maybe you're attracted to them. They're so cute and cuddly. And they finish, oh, you finished my sentences. It's so great, right? But what I want you to do is come to me and tell me this story and then end it like this. Pastor, I really think, I really think I found my two. I really think that I've found my two. You're like, oh, guys, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. That if you make that person your one, you will experience the things I'm talking about. If you don't make that person your two, there will be a situation in your life where you're living out of order of God's plan and you will reap the consequences of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, when we make a person one, we lose sight of the fact that God created it to be two. Like, I, literally, I go to my wife today. If I could do it, we could all go into the lobby and find my wife and we'll have this conversation. But I could look her in the eye and say, baby, I love you so much. You're my number two. And she's not going to get mad at me. Because she knows that Jesus is my one. Matter of fact, she loves the fact that Jesus is my one. And friends, if you're with someone that doesn't understand that or get that or want to put themselves in proper order, then I would encourage you to get out of it. Right now, if you're dating someone, then text that individual right now and tell them it's off. If you're married, you're going to have to work through it because you made a covenant before God. Start praying and watch God do a work in softening both your hearts and you'll find that God will show up because here's the thing I know. Two people seeking the one equals possible. Any situation you face, unforgiveness, infidelity, I don't care. I know without a shadow of a doubt you have two people that are seeking the one. God can heal it. God can redeem it. I don't know if you know this about Leah's story, but Leah eventually had another son Matter of fact, she had multiple sons. But I want to read this to you. 
In verse 35, the Bible says, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, listen to this, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now, why is this important? (laughs) I love this. And these are the kinds of things that I geek out about as a, as a Bible person. And I'm going to share it with you today. It's so important. Guess where Jesus came from? The tribe of Judah. Isn't that amazing? So, so this, this woman who felt completely inadequate, dissatisfied, longing for someone to love her, That it was through her womb that Judah was born. And that through Judah came Jesus, Savior of the world, Messiah. Guys, I love this because you know what it means? It means that God can take our problem (laughs) and solve it. God can take our bad and make it good. Matter of fact, I know without a shadow of a doubt, and this is so important that you get this, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is absolutely in this situation proving again that he is a pro at bringing good out of bad. That through this lineage that God blessed the world with Jesus. And you know what I love so much about that is if I've messed it up or if I'm not doing it right or whatever it is, it's that God says, look, make me one. And if you make me one, I'll go to work, but I will never compete, and I will never be number two. And so our job as followers of Jesus, as people who long to be in relationships and maybe uh, desire even greater friendships, that we have to figure out that Jesus is always intended to be number one. You will be a better husband, a better friend, a better mother, a better whatever, worker, when you learn that Jesus is always going to be number one. And when he is, things work the way that God wants them to work. That's my heart. That's my prayer for us today as we think about having better relationships. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your word and what it means for each one of us. God, I know that there are individuals here in this room that are struggling to do certain things in their relationships. Maybe they're struggling to pray together. Maybe you're here and you're like, I, I want to do this right. And so what I want to do is I just want to pray for those of you. that, like Maybe you're in a relationship and you're not doing that right. Like you're not praying together. You're not seeking the Lord at all together. But you want to do it right. I want to pray for you. And so if you're here today and you're like in faith, God, I want to do this right. I need your help. I'm going to pray for you. God, I ask right now in the name of Jesus for anybody in here that wants to place you on the throne of their life, in the throne of their relationships, God. I pray that you would begin to work in their lives in a powerful way. And what I want you to do is just simply say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know how to do it, but would you teach me how to do it? Would you teach me how to pray? Just say that to him. Lord, that's what we want. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that this would come to pass. In every relationship in this room, Father, that you would teach us to pray with one another, especially those that are in 
coupling relationships or, or deep friendships. God, I pray that you teach us to pray. Teach us to keep you at the center of our lives. We ask these things, Lord, in your name. Now, perhaps you're here today, and as I was talking, and I was talking about being number one, of God being number one in your life, the thing that I noticed about Jacob is that Jacob had never experienced the unconditional love of Jesus. And the thing that the Bible says to each one of us, whether we hear it or not, I don't know, but the Bible says that Jesus came into this world as a baby. He grew into a man and he went to a cross. And it was on that cross that he died a brutal death. He was taken off of that cross and he was placed in a tomb. And all hope was lost. And then three days later, Jesus, the Son of God, beat sin, beat death, and was resurrected. And as a result of that, sin, our relationship with God, all of it, death, was addressed, and God began to do a work in this universe that no one else could do. The reason I tell you that is I believe 100% that Jesus wants a relationship with you. The same Jesus that died on that cross, the same Jesus that was resurrected, I believe that he wants a relationship with you. And the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that these things are true, that he'll come now and he'll enter into a relationship with you and he'll be your savior and he'll be your Lord. And so my heart for you today is that you would take a step of faith towards that. And so what I want to do is, is we're all praying together, heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that relationship, to enter into that relationship. And so if you're here today and you'd like to do that, you know without a shadow of a doubt that, that if you uh, walked out of here and did not live anymore, that you would not spend eternity with him. I want you to be secure in this. In Jesus' name, I want it. And so if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And what I'd like for you to do is just a way of faith, like a statement of faith. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand up because I want to be able to pray for you. We're going to all pray together in just a moment, but I want to see your hand as a statement of faith. Because I believe 100% that if you won't raise it up in here, you definitely won't raise it up out there. And so I'm asking you to take a step of faith if this is your heart. And so right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, on the count of three, I'm going to invite you to lift your hand up. One, two, three. Go ahead. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. Awesome. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Church, let's all pray together. And if you lifted your hands, just pray this prayer with us. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Will you save me today? I surrender my life to you. Be Lord of my life. I make you number one. Change me from the inside out. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate anybody that was making a decision today? So good.